Alright, this is our last week on Proverbs. Um, and we're in the, uh, the section here called the Sayings of the Wise. Um, 22-24. Um, and we're ready for chapter 23. So, um, I'll just go ahead and move into that. So, um, here's another one of the Proverbs about money. Um, Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone, for wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. Now, what... Proverbs trying to this particular one is warning us against trusting in wealth. I mean, when he says, "Do not weary yourself to gain wealth," he doesn't mean don't get a job and work and things like that. What he's saying is, don't make that your only, your primary goal in life. Because if if you think that's that wealth is the answer to all your problems, you're going to be really disappointed because it doesn't last. All right, <clears throat> different one. Now, the, the Proverbs, as, we, as we've commented before, they just jump all around. Uh, total, di- each one is different different subject. I've just picked out some that I think are are worth noting here. So, chapter 23, verses 10 and 11. Do not, um, do not move the ancient boundary or go into the fields of the fatherless, for their Redeemer is strong. He will plead their case against you. <laughs> Why would someone move a boundary? Yeah, so they can take someone else's land. And whose land are they most likely to take? Yeah, the the see, yeah, it mentions the fatherless here, the the people that don't have power. Um, they don't have it. They don't have a father to to represent them in, in court. So it's easy to move their boundary stone and it's too expensive for this poor person to go to court and say it's not right. But he mentions their Redeemer. Now in the Old Testament, the Redeemer was the nearest relative. Um, And what particular time does the Redeemer come in to play a a lot in the Old Testament? Yeah, murder. What's the Redeemer's job if if his relative gets murdered? Yeah, he has to go execute the murderer. Um, Now, they changed that by the time we get to the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, that's the way it was done. But the Redeemer also did other things. I mean, his job was to protect his, his relatives. And so if you move the ancient boundary, that person's Redeemer is is going to... Take action, but in this case, who's the redeemer? God. Yeah, God makes Himself the redeemer for the, these orphans, these poor people. Now, here's a really long one. Um, we're, the first part of the Proverbs, the, the earlier part, every proverb was one verse, but we're in the section where we get the multiverse Proverbs. And what's interesting about this one is it begins with a riddle. 
<laughs> and this is a, this is really that's what it really is. Verse twenty nine: Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? That's the way a riddle starts. Um, you know, when you were kids, you used to tell riddles about you know what's black and white and red all over that kind of thing. I mean, this is this is a riddle, and the answer is what? Yeah, those who linger long over wine. So we start this long proverb, goes all the way to the end of the chapter, all about people that go after alcohol and um, warns about how it looks real pretty when it's a cup, goes down smoothly, but if the last it bites like a serpent, stings like a viper. And it's not talking about the taste here, it's talking about what it does to the person's life. Um, what happens to what he sees in, in if you're following along here, it's in verse thirty three. He sees strange things, yeah. Um, he says strange things too, perverse things. And in, in verse thirty four, he's like one that lies down in the middle of the sea. In other words, he he's like he's seasick. Or like one that lies down on the top of a mast, which it'd be like you know, on a sailing ship, you climb up in the rigging and and try to sleep up there. I mean, it's just waving back and forth. That's that's the consequence of being drunk. And then they struck me, but he says I did not become ill. They beat me, but I did not know it. I mean, the, this guy is so drunk he doesn't even know what's happening to him. So, what's the solution to his problems at the end? Sick another, <laughs> Sick another drink. Yeah, that's what I need. Another drink. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right, the next chapter, um, verse 10, 24 verse 10. If you are slack in the day of distress, your strength is limited. Um, we all have our challenges, things we need to do that's, to do what's right, resist what's evil. But some days are more difficult than others. The day of distress is the most difficult of all. You're in a day of distress, it's very hard to do what's right. And um, so it's easy to use the excuse, well, um, you know, I, I could have done it except, you know, it was real difficult. And what's the wise man say about that in the proverb? Your strength is limited, yeah. You, you, you don't have the strength you need if you can't. I mean, anybody can be good when there's no temptation. <laughs> it's. It's being good when when it's difficult that, that matters, and and so if you use the argument, oh well, it's just a strong temptation. Don't give me that. <laughs> Your strength is is too weak. <laughs> get some get some more strength is what the wise man is saying here. And then in the next two verses, um, deliver those who are being taken away to death, and those who are staggering to slaughter. Oh, hold them back. If you say, "See, we did not know this," does not he who consider, does not he does he not consider it who weighs the hearts, and does he not know it who keeps your soul, and will he not render to man according to his work? Now, the proverb doesn't say why these people are being taken away to death. I mean, I assume there's a lot of different situations where this can come in. In the New Testament, Jesus told a story about um, some people that saw a guy who was who was dying by the side of the road, what do we call that story? Yeah, the Good Samaritan. 
and which was the one of the three people that saw him, which was the one who actually delivered him. It was the Samaritan. That's right. That's why it's called the Good Samaritan. Um, there are other reasons why someone might be taken away to death. Perhaps um, he's been falsely accused in court and he needs someone with some strength to, to defend him against uh, liars that, that are, are accusing him wrongly. Um, you, there was a story in the Old Testament about one guy that actually got killed that way. Who was that? Naboth, yeah, because the king wanted his land, so he falsely accused him and then he was put to death. Well, this is saying that we need to deliver these people. But you know, in the paper, every so often we read about somebody that saved someone's life. They might have seen someone fall through the ice in the wintertime and they, they rescued them. Um, and, and we say, well, that's great. Wow. Um, but. The one thing that is the most needful of all is saving people from spiritual death. And, and I don't know that the proverb is about that, but I think it applies. And, and we can't just say, oh, well, I didn't know. You know I, just, I had my own things to do. It's, it's urgent. Alright. Verse 27. Prepare your work outside and make it ready for yourself in the field. Afterwards, then, build your house. What's this trying to tell us? Get your priorities straight. Yes. Yeah. Don't start by making yourself comfortable. Start by making sure you've got income, but start by making sure you're going to have food for the wintertime. Um, and, I mean, this would have been literally true back in the days of the pioneers. You know, they, they go out west and. and they just got bare land. Well, the, I mean, obviously they need some place to live. They'll build themselves a little lean-to or some kind of a shack. But the most critical thing is to get the crops in so that they'll have food to eat in the wintertime. <coughs> Too often we, we just think about you know what's fun, what's comfortable. We're not looking at the future. All right. Um, and then, this is one of these classic ones. This is verse 30 all the way to the end of the chapter. We've had some Proverbs before about lazy people. That's what the sluggard is here. Um, but in this case, um, we've got the longest proverb ever about the lazy person. He says, I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. When I saw, I reflected upon it. I looked and unreceived instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then your poverty will come as a robber and your want like an armed man. Yeah, it was just obvious looking at the guy's field. He hadn't been doing his work. He hadn't been weeding his, his, his fields, trimming his, his vineyard. Uh, he was just lazy. Just a little extra sleep. I, this can wait till tomorrow, that kind of thing. And he becomes he becomes poor, impoverished, because um, he didn't work while he had the chance. Alright. Now, I've jumped back to our outline because we're going to a new section here. Uh, this section is called More Proverbs of Solomon. When did these Proverbs get added to the book? 
Yeah, in the days of Hezekiah. In verse 1 it says, These also are Proverbs of Psalm which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, transcribed. I don't know when the earlier ones were put in the book. But the men of Hezekiah, which is several hundred years after Solomon, uh, but yeah, I'm sure he had written them down somewhere, and they f- they found these proverbs and they added them here. Um, all right, so we'll start with um, verses six and seven. Do not claim honor in the presence of the king, and do not stand in the place of great men, for it is better that it be said to you, "Come up here." than for you to be placed lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. Now, Jesus told a, a similar story to that. Do you remember that? What, what was His story about? Uh, that's You're thinking of the book of James with synagogue. Now, I'm thinking of something. Yeah, Jesus was invited to a dinner. And notice how people were all grabbing the best seats closest to the, the guest of honor. And he said, no, no, no. Go grab the lowest seat. And then the host will come in and he'll say, hey, come up here and sit higher. You're, you're, more, you're more honorable than that. And this proverb is saying much the same thing. Um, don't put yourself forward is the point. You're liable to be shocked when you find out you're not as great as you thought you were. <laughs> um, Verse 15. By forbearance a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue breaks the bone. (laughs) When you look at the body, the human body, the hardest thing in the body would be bones. And the softest thing would be something approximately like the tongue. (laughs) And yet he's saying, you know, the soft tongue can break a bone. And of course, he's he's using um, some literary... uh, a literary expression here because he's really talking about using your tongue with patience to convince the ruler. Now, if the ruler is going to do something you don't like, a person who does not have wisdom, he's tempted to, you know, to shout and get angry and all of this. That's the worst thing you can do with a ruler. Um, when, when he's trying to go the wrong direction, the wise person is patient and calm and suggests some things. You know, maybe you might want to consider this. And with patience, he can accomplish what couldn't be done just by you know, flying off the handle, which is, again, what, what the foolish person is tempted to do. Alright. Um, the next verse, 16. Have you found honey? Eat only what you need that you not have it in excess and vomit it. Now obviously, the proverb is not designed just to tell us how to eat honey. It's, it's just making a point. What's the point? <laughs> Don't be a glutton. Yeah, I, I think it applies to more than just food though. Um, it, it, there are a lot of things in life that give pleasure. Honey is one of those things. You know, This is in the days before they had invented sugar, so honey was was pretty much the sweetest thing they had. But in other areas of life, there's lots of things that give pleasure. But if you seek that one thing and just make it your sole goal, it's not going to work. God didn't design it for that. We, we have to have moderation. Um, the problem with the slugger, I mean, sleep is, is a, a fine blessing, but the slugger doesn't use sleep in moderation. 
<laughs> he thinks that's the highest goal in life. And and you you could get a, a whole list of other things that are that we find enjoyable. Um, someone might like watching a movie, but do that in moderation. It, you know, when, when, if you spend all your time watching movies, um, you're liable to have it in excess and vomit it. <laughs> it says God didn't design us to be spending all of our time on on any one of these things. Verse 20. Like one who takes off a garment on a cold day or like vinegar on soda is he who sings songs to a troubled heart. Um, I mean, there's times to sing songs to people. But um, if someone's dearest loved one has just died and they're just feeling terrible, um, is that the time to talk about how you know? Oh, I'm happy today. Oh, yes, I'm. I mean, that, that's not exactly what the person needs. And, and so this 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 proverb is just talking about con, consider the situation that the person's in, and you know, have a little thought for for where they are in terms of the of their emotions. All right, twenty one and twenty two. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Now that, that's kind of an interesting proverb until it gets to that second half. And we think, what? <laughs> if your enemy is hungry, will you give him food? Well, that's a nice thing to do. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Because that's the way to heap burning coals on his head. <laughs> what are, what's this talking about? <laughs> How does feeding your enemy heap burning coals on his head? He knows he'd never do that from you because for you because he hates you. Yeah. And he's it, for justification to express his hatred. That's exactly right. If someone hates you, what they want most of all is more reason to hate you. They want you to do something bad to them so that they'll be justified in hating you. You do something nice to them, and it just bothers their conscience. That's what the, I think the burning coals is talking about. Their conscience hurts because they know they've been doing bad things to you and then and you turn around and do something nice to them. That hurts. <laughs> Where is this found in the New Testament? Yeah, Romans chapter 12. Yeah, he, Paul quotes this exact proverb when he, when he tells us not to take vengeance on others. Alright, verse uh, 26. Like a trampled spring and a polluted well is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. Now, if you've got a spring, I mean, a spring just sits on top of the ground, bubbling up nice water. You can go down and you know, dip your cup in it and get a nice drink of water. Um, what happens when people trample it? It's muddy. It gets muddy. Yeah, then it's going to want to drink into thing. Yeah. Or a well that's been polluted. Um, so that's what... That's what we're going to compare to what in this proverb? The righteous man who does not oppose. Yeah, the righteous man who gives way before the wicked. Yeah, I mean, it's good that he's a righteous man, but the wicked man is trying to, to push, push forward with his wicked agenda, and the righteous man is just kind of stepping aside. Well, you just go ahead. That's just like trampling the, this beautiful spring. I mean, it, it ruins... it. I mean, it ruins the righteousness. Um, 
God put, God put the righteous here to be a preserving influence. We're to be the salt of the earth. Um, and that means we're going to have to be standing out there and making wicked people feel bad because we're there. We'll have another proverb on that in a little bit. Alright, chapter 26, verse 4 and 5. Now, I, I quoted this from the, from the New International Version. Most of these I've been doing, all the others I've been doing from the New American Standard, but I think the New International did a better job on this. Um, Do not answer a fool according to his folly or you will be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly or he will be wise in his own eyes. The thing I like about the NIV and and other translations did the same thing except standard. Um, The two halves are the same thing. Answer a fool according to his folly because the first one says do not and the other says do. And the New American Standard tried to help it out by saying um, in the second half, um, answer a fool as his folly deserves. So they translated it differently, so that, you know, trying to explain the, the thing. But I, I really like it where it looks like it's a contradiction. The first one says, don't do it. The second one says, do it. And the lesson I get is when you're dealing with a fool, there's no winning. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you do, it's going to be wrong. <laughs> you, you don't answer him or you'll be like him yourself but then if you don't answer him he'll be wise in his own eyes what are you going to do well the commentators have made observations that you kind of have to judge between which, which is which is the lesser of two evils basically and that's really what you're, what you're up against when you have a fool who, who, is, who thinks he's so wise it's just a very difficult situation Verse 11. This is a really gross one. (laughs) Like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. I mean, it's bad enough to to make a mistake and suffer for it. It's ten times worse to do the same thing again. It didn't work the first time. Where's that quoted in the New Testament? 2 Peter 2.22 Yep, 2 Peter 2.22, that's right. And in that context, he's talking about Christians who turn back into the world and and become worldly again. It's like a dog. I mean, what what is it describing? It's a dog that pukes and then he goes and eats up what he just puked out. It's really gross. Dogs actually do that. I mean, if anyone's had a dog, they'll know that. (laughs) But, But the proverb is trying to present a really disgusting picture so that we'll understand how terrible it is for a person to escape from wickedness and then go back to it. Verse 17. I put this one in because my dad used to tell me about this when I was growing up. and So I don't know if it's a great proverb or not, but you know I learned it early. Like one who takes a dog by the ears... Is he who passes by and meddles with strife not belonging to him? Now, first of all, you have to understand that they did not have pet dogs in ancient Israel. A dog was an unclean animal. The only dogs they had were wild dogs that ran in packs um, through through the town and out in, out in the country. It would be somewhat on the order of a, of a coyote in our area here, just a wild uh, a wild dog. Um, if you grab a dog by the ears and hang on tight enough, 
you can keep them from biting you. I'm pretty sure I've never tried it, but I think you can. But what are you going to do then? <laughs> Don't let go. <laughs> Don't let go. <laughs> you, you, you're in a terrible bind. And, and he says, that's the same way with someone who's just walking by and there's some argument going on and he meddles with it and it has nothing to do with him. It makes as much sense as grabbing a dog by the ears. And, I'm, and my guess is he's not going to help the people in the argument at all. <laughs> Alright, next one is a two-verse one. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death, so is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, was I not joking? Now, my take on this is that this describes something that's very popular today, and I assume it was popular back then, and that is that you think it's funny to lie to somebody and have them believe you. I mean, and, and there are a lot, and I'm sure we've all known people like that. They just think this is a great joke, you know, to tell someone uh, a lie and then he believes you. I mean, the classic, story, the classic illustration is the new guy on the construction site. And, and they'll send him off for some tool that doesn't exist. Go get me a board stretcher or go get me a left-handed monkey wrench depending on you know, what, the, what the particular job site is like. Or um, you take a guy on a snipe hunt. And all these are, are the same issue. The, the thing that makes it so funny, ho, 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 is he believed what I told him. Now that's tragic. That is absolutely tragic. That, that anyone would think it's funny that someone would believe you were telling him the truth when you were lying. I mean, that's just... And, and, the, and the, this and the, the Solomon here is saying, that's like a madman who's just shooting off arrows and, and throwing flaming torches around. He's just doing destruction. There's, a, there's you know, of course, the famous fairy tale about the boy that cried wolf. You know, he thought it was funny that the townspeople would believe him until the wolf really came and they, they didn't believe him. And that's exactly what happens when we make a joke out of telling, telling a lie. We destroy the value of truth. It just doesn't work anymore. Verse 20, For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisper, contention quiets down. You get... The fuel, what, what this is saying is the fuel for contention is the gossip. This person this just always got to tell what someone else is doing that he's not supposed to be telling about. And if you get rid of the gossip, the whisperer, things are going to calm down and, and you know, you're, you're removing the source of fire. Alright. Um, chapter 27. Verse 1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Where is that quoted in the New Testament? Yeah, James chapter 4. None of us can be guaranteed of the future, and if we talk like we are, we're just neglecting God. Verse 5, Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Now, the proverb is assuming that this friend has done something wrong and needs to be told. And there's two two responses that people have. One response is the friend that says, that's not right, and he rebukes the person. The other response is, well, I really like this guy so much, I don't want to hurt his feelings. 
And, and he's saying that's terrible. What the person needs is to be told the truth. Love that is concealed. That, that doesn't do any good. Alright? Verse 6, similar. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. The wounds of the friend are basically telling you the truth. Sometimes that hurts. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think a person's a friend is always trying to hurt you, but, but sometimes you need to hear things that aren't the favorite thing you'd like to hear. And a friend will tell you that, whereas the enemy will just be deceitful. Alright, down to verse 17. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Um, we stimulate each other. And the Hebrew writer says stimulate each other to love and good works. Um, this class is an example of that. I mean, how many of us would be, would be carefully, faithfully doing this reading every week if we didn't have to give an account by being here in the next Sunday um, I mean, we're sharpening each other. <laughs> and then when people make comments to one in a class, we sharpen each other. But one-on-one as well. I mean, just um, God just didn't design us each to live by ourselves. He designed us to be a, a help to one another. Chapter 28, verse 1. The wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Why do the wicked, wicked flee when no one's chasing them? They know what they deserve. Yeah, their conscience is telling them that. Yeah. <clears throat> Verse eleven: The rich man is wise in his own eyes, but the poor, who has understanding, sees through him. Why does the rich person think he's so wise? That's right. Yeah, because he's rich. That's why he's wise. I mean, look, look. You know, I'm so smart. I made all this money. And the poor person sees through that. <laughs> Uh, it's not always the smart people that get the money. Verse 13, He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. I believe this is the only place in the whole book where this uh, truth is taught. It's found several times in the book of Psalms. Um, The necessity to confess our sins. All right. Um, verse twenty. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who makes haste to be rich will not go unpunished. Making haste to be rich, I assume, is the guy is willing to cut corners. He's not being faithful. Verse twenty-seven. He who gives to the poor will never want. But he who shuts his eyes will have many curses. I assume he's, when he says shuts his eye, means shuts his eye to the, to the knee of these people that are around him. Chapter 29, verse 12. If a ruler pays attention to falsehood, all his ministers become wicked. If the king likes to hear lies, he's going to get a bunch of people who are willing to tell him lies, what this is saying. And verse 26. Many seek the ruler's favor, but justice for man comes from the Lord. Why do people seek the ruler's favor? The ruler is the one who's supposed to justice. Right. They're, they're, they want to get his favor so he'll rule on their, on their side of the case. But what the proverb says is that what you want really comes from the Lord, not from the ruler. 
And I like this one, the last verse of chapter 29. An unjust man is abominable to the righteous, and he who is upright in the way is abominable to the wicked. <laughs> Both sides hate each other. <laughs> wicked people can't stand the righteous, and the righteous people can't stand the wicked. <laughs> and of course, that's been going on ever since <clears throat> Cain killed Abel back in Genesis chapter 4. Alright, back to our outline. We're now in this the second to the last section, the words of Agur and Lemuel in chapters 30 and 31. I don't know who either one of these guys is and nobody else does either. Um, chapter 30, verse 4. Who has ascended into heaven and descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped the, the um, waters in his garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name or his son's name? Surely you know. Of course, this is just kind of a, a, riddle, a riddle method of talking about God. And it's very similar to, to the way God talked to Job at the, at the end of the book of Job. You know, were you there when I did this? Were you there when I did that? Um, verses 8 and 9. Agur uh, says, Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. But what he's saying here is that if he has too much, he's liable to say, oh, I've got what I need. I don't need God. Or if he doesn't have enough, he's going to be tempted to steal, and so he needs just, just the right amount. Kind of the Goldilocks um, <laughs> proverb here. Um, chapter 30, verse 18. There are three things which are too wonderful for me. The thing I wanted to notice here, I'm going to jump down to the last verse. See, he mentions several things, the way of an eagle and all that. But finally he says in verse 20, this is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. What, what, is, what, what amazes this writer is, not just that she's a sinner, I mean, she's committing adultery, of course she's a sinner, but that she thinks nothing of it. It's just like eating a meal. There's just nothing to it. Um, and he, he just says, that's amazing. I would agree. Now, in chapter 31, we have the words of King Lemuel. Again, we don't know who this king was. But in verses 4 and 5, we have a couple of verses that um, L.A. Mott preached to us a little while ago, so I put them on there for that reason. It's not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire strong drink. Um, in verse 9... Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the afflicted and needy. Why should the king defend the rights of the afflicted and needy? Why doesn't why not defend the rights of the rich and powerful? They do a pretty good job in defending. They can defend themselves. That's right. It's the poor people that need the king to help them out. Um, now we come to the last section. The last section in the book, and I just have one verse out of this, but I'll tell you, the excellent wife, verses 10 through the end of the chapter. This is an acrostic. Well, what does that mean? It's an acrostic. Yes, you don't see it in, in English because this was not originally written in English, it was really originally written in Hebrew. But in Hebrew, um, verse 10 starts with the Hebrew letter A, Aleph. 
Verse 11 starts with the Hebrew letter B, which is Beth, and so on till the end. It's an acrostic uh, poem. And it's all about what? The, uh, the good wife. Yes, the good wife. And she is rare. <laughs> She's very... In fact, if you took this whole story, literally, I think she'd be so rare, you're never going to find this person. I mean, there's nobody that has every single trait in here. It's just phenomenal. But I, I, I assume that he's trying to point out different things that, that he's seen in, in, these, in these women. Um, every one of them is something. And I, and I don't think just women need to, to have the same things. The men need to have these same traits. She's the very opposite of lazy. Um, she cares about poor people. She takes, she, she, her husband doesn't have to worry about what's going on at home because she takes care of it. Um, and then I put this one verse, verse 30, that I think well summarizes the, the whole section. Charm is beautiful and, beautif- and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. I mean, you can have a woman that has these outward characteristics. She looks nice. You know, she, she knows how to, how to behave. But if she doesn't have these traits in here, that beauty is going to fade. As she gets older, it's, she's going to look uglier and uglier. But if she has the beauty of the inner person, as described in this chapter, she's going to become more and more beautiful as time goes on. She'll be praised. Alright, any other questions or comments on Proverbs? Is that called with A, B, C, D? Acrostic. Is that like Psalm 119? Exactly. Yeah, Psalm 119 is an acrostic psalm. Yes, it is exactly like that. All right, now we're going to start a new book. And so it's hard, you can't really read this, but we're in this section called Poetry. We've already done Job, we've done Psalms, we just finished Proverbs, and the next book is Ecclesiastes. And by the next time we'll finish it up. In fact, we're not going to have a class next week because uh, Joe Hamm will be speaking for us after the lectures. Um, so we'll, I haven't looked, but I'm pretty sure we'll be into Isaiah by the time we get back to this. But we're going to start Ecclesiastes uh, right now. Here's the outline. And I, I don't, I'm not super keen on this outline, but I don't have a better one myself, so I'm going with this. <laughs> um, it's, it's a difficult book to outline, in my judgment. Um, so, I want to first talk about these first 11 verses, which, which are the introduction to the book. Verse 2. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Jump to the end of the book, chapter 12, verse 8. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. The book starts and ends with this one phrase. What do we call that when you bracket it like that? Inclusio, yes. That's That's a figure of speech that's used to... So that you let it, he lets it know everything in between has to do with this topic of the vanity of life. Emptiness is what he's saying. And, and if we're not careful, I mean, the book sounds very uh, pessimistic. Um, in verses 3 through 11, this is a very pessimistic section of the book. Not that it's oh, unique like that, but he's, he's asking the question what advantage does man have in all his work which he does under the sun? And I think what he's trying to say is, 
what can you do that's worthwhile? What can you do that will last? What can you do that will make a difference? Um, I mean, every one of us, we look around, we see all kinds of things that need to be done. There are all kinds of problems in life. And it'd be nice for us to, to do something that really makes a difference. And the writer is saying, sorry, it's not going to work. He says life is just a bunch of repetition. Things happen over and over, just over and over. Verse 8, all things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. Um, in verse 10, is there anything of which one might say, see this, it is new? Already it has existed for ages which were before us. Anything we try is something that people have done many times before. Um, and so, the wise man is he's getting kind of depressed about this. And he's really looking for answers. So in the next section, I've got a chart for this. He tried a number of things to see, will this work? Will this solve the problem of the emptiness of life? And so, in verse 13, I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom. If anybody had wisdom, it was, it was Solomon. But he, that didn't work. He says, at the end of verse 17, I realize that this also is striving after wind. Because in much wisdom there is much grief and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. Now, now don't misunderstand him. He's not, he's not saying, hey, just throw out the book of Proverbs. We don't need that. He, he understands wisdom has its value, but if you make wisdom the end, that's, all, that's the whole answer, it will not suffice. All you're going to do is realize what you can't do. You get, you get enough wisdom and you realize there are so many problems and I can't solve these problems either. The world's a mess and all I've accomplished by becoming wise is to learn it's a mess. <laughs> well, so then he said, well, let's try pleasure. So he tried that, but he said, I said of laughter, it is madness, and of pleasure, what does it accomplish? Um, you know, you, you get people that try the party scene. Um, you know, they'll, they'll, they want to go be around other people and tell jokes and, and chat and all that. You do that very much and it's like eating a lot of honey. You just get sick of it. It's just a... Uh, what, is, what does it accomplish? I mean, it's even worse than, than getting the wisdom. You're just wasting a little bit of time here on your way to, to death is what, what's happening. So, he, he said in, in verse 3, he tried wine. Well, if you read the book of Proverbs, you understand that's not going to work. And he recognized that too. So then in verse 4 and following, he tried building. And that seems more likely because if, if you build things, that's going to last beyond your lifetime, isn't it? So if you went over there to where Solomon was, he built lots of things in Jerusalem, other cities around there. What would you see today that he built? Yeah, you could dig, you could dig up and maybe find a, you know some stones at the bottom. Those buildings are all gone. It, 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 it's just it. You can't accomplish something that's going to last, and that's what he keeps discovering. So then, in verses seven and eight, he, he bought slaves. He had flocks and herds. He had silver and gold. He had singers. He had concubines. All kinds of things. And in verse ten, he says, "All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them." 
But in verse 11 he says, Thus I consider all my activities which my hands had done, and the labor which I had exerted, and what was it? Vanity. He was striving after wind. I mean, strive after wind. You try to grab the wind. It's not going to work. It's going to get away. And there was no profit under the sun. Now, what has he left out in this whole list? What's he left out? He left out God. That's right. And he's doing that on purpose. I mean, it's not just that he hasn't thought about God. He's doing it on purpose because he's trying to show if you don't have God in your life, your life has no meaning. It's vanity. It's empty. And, and we live in a society where there's a whole bunch of people around us who don't have God in their lives. And they're doing the exact same things that Solomon tried. I mean, look at that list. I mean, you'll find some people, they think you know, the, the answer in life is to become educated. And they go to college and they read books and all this. And, and they like to get together with other educated people and talk about educated things. What does it accomplish in the long run? And of course you have plenty of people that do the party scene and you have the people that seek the wine ruining their lives. Um, and you have people that try to build things. And it's, it's not wrong to build things. It's just that if you think that's where the answer comes in, you're sadly mistaken. Nothing lasts. And so he goes on like this. In verse 13, I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. You know, he understands wisdom makes sense. But the problem, he says, is in verse 15. I said to myself, as is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. What's the fate of the fool? He's going to die. What's going to happen to me? Die. <laughs> so what's the point of being wise versus foolish? So he says, why then have I been extremely wise? That You don't get answers that way. And... There is no lasting remembrance of the wise man as with the fool, inasmuch as in the coming days all will be forgotten. And how the wise man and the fool alike die. So I hated life, for the work which had been done <coughs> under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futility and striving after wind. Why has God made life like this? perfect our souls. Yes. Points us to God. And it wasn't originally like this. It, it, was, it did not start like this. Um, the, uh, it was sin. It was when Adam and Eve sinned that God turned the world into this vanity of vanities. And so again, you leave God out and life is just empty. So... Let's see here. There's one more thing I wanted to bring up. Um, yeah, in verse 18, Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. For I must leave it to the man who will come after me. You know, you, you build all these things, but then you're going to die. Someone else is going to get it. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. The guy that came after Solomon, was he a wise man or a fool? He was a fool. and He, he squandered what, what his dad had, had so painstakingly builds up. Yet he will have control over all the food of my labor for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. This too is vanity. So the, the lesson we're, that he's, he's giving us is that if you leave God out, there's nothing in life 
that makes life worthwhile. Appreciate everyone's help. That's it. How it works.